Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Is restrained for Trump. Chris Steyerwalt, thank you very much. That's all we got time for. Banfield starts now. Wednesday night, and it is a busy Wednesday night. I'm not doing any politics. I'm not doing any of that tonight. I have way more important stuff to discuss with you tonight, because last night I came on this program with you uh, thinking there was a very serious story in Baltimore. It was a manhunt, and it was very serious, but it was nowhere near the level of severity that it is tonight. And that is because we have discovered that the man they're looking for in the murder of that tech exec may be the one responsible for a brutal assault on a man and a woman and a child just a week before. They're calling it an attempted murder. Those two people are in the hospital in critical condition. One of them was raped, her throat slashed at, her boyfriend tied up and handcuffed and thrown in a closet, and they were all set fire to. The five-year-old child upstairs taken to the hospital, smoke inhalation. That's what happened a week before. And then the murder that we've been uh, talking about in just the last few days. A 26-year-old tech exec, not found in her apartment, we're learning. Found instead on the roof of the building. That's where her body was found. That is where uh, the discussion has now gone. Why on earth was that woman found on the roof of her home? The roof of her apartment. Why did the manhunt just start with her murder? This is, this is what's, you got to get me off the ledge on this. Why did the manhunt just start? Because a week ago, a murderous rapist ex-con guy was let out way too early uh, than he should have been from his prison sentence. He's been out there. He's been on the run. But there was no manhunt. Not until Pavel Lepere was found dead on her roof. There are some serious questions that need to be answered, but we can't even go there because we're still looking for Jason Billingsley. And if you live anywhere near the Baltimore area, lock your doors and then put furniture up against them because this man, according to police themselves, he will rape, he will kill. Maybe they knew that even after just finding one woman dead on her roof, maybe they knew that because of what had happened a week prior that they didn't tell us. Now, we found that out today. We found out that there's multiple warrants out there for this guy. Today. So last night, I wish I could have come on the air with you and said, 
we really have a problem here. We have a, an excruciatingly dangerous rapist, murderer, ex-con, felon. And he is not small. 64305. Not easy to hide. Not easy to fight off. As we believe now, at least four victims have discovered. Thank God those two people who were attacked last week are alive. But barely. They're in critical condition, as I said. And this child taken to the hospital with smoke inhalation because apparently the savage that decided to rape the girl slashed at her neck, lock up the boyfriend, and set fire to the whole place. Didn't seem to care that there might be a child. Or maybe he did. Maybe he knew there was a child. I don't know. I don't know. But they were all rescued, thank God. I have a lot more details about the reward. Don't even get me started there either. (laughs) Okay, there's a reward. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. I'm also going to show you the map of where all these crimes happen so you can see for yourself the proximity of these attacks. And we're just now hearing about last week's in connection to Jason Billingsley. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Also going to talk about uh, Jody Hildebrandt. That name is familiar. You might remember her name connected to Ruby Frankie. That name is familiar. You might remember the pair of them being parenting experts on YouTube with like thousands and thousands, millions of followers taking their parenting tips until one of their children climbed out of Jody's uh, house and screamed for help to the neighbors, bearing scars and injuries and duct tape, starving. Oh, by the way, my little sister's back in that house too, where they found her starving with duct tape and injuries. Now we're hearing some of the injuries that may have been inflicted by this uh, pair may be... um, even more, shall we say, unique, widespread. Not all injuries are physical. And as it turns out, there are a whole bunch of Jody Hildebrandt's former patients who are coming forward and saying, you should have seen what she did to us in counseling. You should have seen what she did to our children in counseling. You're going to hear all about it. Three of her former patients are here with me tonight. They are going to tell you all of the things that she said that she did, and let's just say some of it involves uh, being treated for porn addiction and sex addiction when they didn't even need it. And I do mean the 16-year-old boy. That's coming as well. And then I have an update for you on the uh, Long Island serial killer. Uh, The suspect, Rex Hewerman, was in court today. Really, really short hearing, but packed with information. A little bit mind-blowing, too. It turns out we now know what he's been up to for two to four hours a day in his cell. Pretty fascinating. Uh, We also know why his cell conditions might actually be more comfortable than his home conditions. That is all coming up in just a moment. But let's start with this manhunt in Baltimore. Uh, Jason Dean Billingsley, 64305. 64, 305 pounds. Apparently his mom is looking for him too. Apparently his mom has been on the phone with him, texting with him too. She doesn't know why he keeps on running. Doesn't know why he was apparently trying to sell a gun the other day. Jason Billingsley, not your friend, ex-con, just got out a little under 11 months ago and didn't even serve that 30-year sentence that he actually was sentenced. No, no, he served like less than a third of it. And it turns out that he is wanted now in this brutal attack a week ago. 
We thought it was the attack from just this week. We thought that it was the attack on Pavel Laper. That was September 25th. The tech exec, the young woman who we thought had been murdered in her apartment. That was only half true. She'd been murdered in her apartment building, but on the roof. That's where her body was found. That's a mystery unto its own. How did he get in? This is a secure building. Where is he now? Because the guy who is suspected of being the killer of Pavel Aper just a few days ago, the guy who's the subject of the manhunt, is now also the subject of the attempted murder from last week. It's a little bit astounding that the reward is just $6,000. $6,000. I don't know. Call me crazy. I have a feeling that's going to go up. You're that murderous. You're that dangerous. You're an ex-con. You're 64305. You're only offering 6000 Who in that neighborhood is going to want to turn in that guy for $6,000? I want to show you real quickly, if I can, the, uh, the map of where Pavel Laper lived where she was found on her roof, okay? Where Billingsley lived, because it's only about 1.6 miles away, and we know where he lived because he was on the sex offender registry. About that. And then where this rape, arson, and attempted murder happened on September 19th. All of those happened in a fairly close proximity to one another. And yet, we just found out about the manhunt for Pavel Laper's killer yesterday. This guy's been out there having done this allegedly since September 19th. And who knows, because they're looking back on all the crimes since October of 2022, that's 11 months ago, when he was sprung from another sex crime. I want to bring in News Nation's Brian Enton. He's uh, standing by live with a lot more details on that actual attack itself. So, Brian, fill me in on what happened September 19th. What happened to this woman and her boyfriend and this child? This is so brutal. It is like next level disturbing what happened to them, Ashley. So if you've got kids at home, like cover their ears right now because this is really, really bad. Uh, But what we have learned is that he uh, busted inside the house with a gun. Uh, It was a boyfriend, a girlfriend, then a child inside. Uh, He tied up the man and the woman. Uh, He handcuffed them, we are told. He used duct tape and duct taped them. Uh, We're told he put the boyfriend into the closet, and then he raped the woman. Uh, He then slit her throat while the boyfriend was duct taped on the ground in the closet. Uh, And then he doused them in some kind of liquid. Police are not telling us exactly what that liquid was. Maybe they don't know. You could presume it was probably gasoline. Then he lit the boyfriend and the girlfriend on fire, The entire house caught fire. He goes on the run. Police get the call. It's actually the fire department that first gets the call. It's a call for a house on fire. They show up. They find the man and the woman duct taped. The woman's throat is slit, uh, allegedly. Um, And then then they find this, this little child also inside the house. We know right now that that man and woman still in the hospital. Uh, Really, really serious burns. Um, and, uh, and they're in critical condition. So it, it is just awful what happened to them. And then he was out from September 19th until Pavel Laper's killing. They're not saying if she was raped, but they sure did emphasize he will rape, he will kill. 
and she's found on September 25th, just a few days ago. He's got multiple warrants out there. Do they know what else he's being investigated for if this weren't enough, if these two horrendous crimes weren't enough? Well, you mentioned it. What the police said today is they're going back to October 2022, so about a year ago, and they're looking at all of the unsolved crimes and the brutal crimes in Baltimore and seeing if they can connect him to any of those. Because think about it. I mean, if he's done these two awful, awful, brutal attacks uh, in just the last week or so, did he just start in the last week? Or are there other things uh, that they just haven't connected him to at this point? They say that that's what they're, they're trying to figure out right now. I mean, it's a, it's a, he sounds like a, a serial uh, rapist yeah. to start with serial offender and potentially a serial killer if he left that couple in that condition. Take me back to the original conviction here. 2015, he's convicted. He's sentenced to 30 years, a first-degree sexual offense with uh, a forced threat. They somehow decide to suspend 16 years of that, and he's out in less than 10 years. What, What was the crime that he committed that got him 30 but netted him, you know, under 10. Yeah, 30-year sentence. This is what I don't think anyone can get their mind around. He only served about seven years, which is infuriating for a lot of people, especially in Baltimore. Basically, with that one, uh, he pretended to be a good Samaritan. There was a woman out on the street having a fight with her boyfriend, upset and emotional. He pretends to be a good Samaritan, according to police, uh, takes her back to a house, then uh, rapes her, strangles her, uh, and then threatened to kill her, told her if she told anyone uh, that he would kill her, that he knew people on the police force, that no one would ever believe her. Well, he ended up getting tracked down, again, arrested for that, but only served seven years of the 30-year sentence. Okay, and, and then we learned today that Jason Dean Billingsley's mom... Mm has actually been in touch with him in the last few days. What's the story? Spoke to him on Tuesday. So not that long ago. Um, Yesterday. Yeah, day after the murder yesterday. uh, She said, quote to to WJC in Baltimore, I'm going to read you this. She said, I told him that he needs to turn himself in, but I really don't think he's going to do that because he's scared. Uh, I can't understand what happened, that he would do something like that. She also said she doesn't know where he is, that she's tried calling him, that he's that uh, that he texted her one time saying that he's OK. Hopefully they're trying to track all this stuff to figure out where he is. But this is the kicker. Uh, he showed her a, a gun that he had on him on Tuesday, said he was trying to sell it. But we know that he's armed. So he's armed and dangerous right now, according to the mom. Wonder why he'd be trying to sell it. Just last uh, last note, uh, Pavel Pair loved loved by her fellow employees, her community. Was there, there was a vigil, I think, planned for tonight. There was um, hundreds of people showed up. I mean. So many people knew her uh, because she volunteered. She was the CEO of this very, very successful company. Just an incredible woman. Uh, We had this picture of the vigil, really incredible. Uh, Her dad was there tonight, made a statement, said Pava made an impact in every endeavor uh, she undertook. And on every life she touched, she will forever be missed as a daughter, uh, sister, granddaughter, niece, cousin, uh, and loyal friends. So you can only imagine what, what that family's going through. Uh, again, in terms of what happened to her, all we know, blunt force trauma. At this point, uh, police haven't given uh, the specific details. There's that picture you were just talking about, yeah. um, Brian, and her dad was there, hey? Mm. Her dad spoke at the vigil. 
Yeah, her dad was there, her co-workers. Just, um, you know, she was even friends with the mayor. This is a woman who was, I mean, painful. you know, on the Forbes list. Very, very well known. Yeah. 30 under 30. Um, a remarkable person and, and certainly stolen from us too soon. All right, Brian Enton, thank you for that. I want to bring in John Muffler now, if I can. He is the former um, assistant chief deputy U.S. marshal for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. He knows the ins and outs of a manhunt for a dangerous offender. John, this, it's just unbelievable that we're learning about this attack on this couple from a week ago. But when I talked to you last night, we were on a manhunt for a guy who killed one woman, brutally so, uh, you know, allegedly killed one woman in her upscale apartment, this, this tech entrepreneur. Now we're talking about somebody who may be a serial offender and a really dangerous one at that. T take me to the manhunt and how it's changed, how the metrics have changed, or how, how maybe they're the same. We just didn't know what they were given the crimes from a week ago. Sure. I mean, this obviously takes it to another level. We, you know, we don't have to say he's considered to be armed and dangerous. We know that he is, in fact, armed and dangerous. Um, he has a violent, violent history. Uh, I think you referred to him as a savage, and you're 100% right. You know, this is somebody, you know, that, you know, will give you nightmares and, and should. So um, as far as the investigative process goes, certainly uh, this is something where officers are taking – you know, those precautions and who they're interviewing, where they're interviewing and, and, and looking at everything possible, but also taking all the safety and security measures they need while conducting uh, the investigative process for him. So, John, when I heard that he had had this text conversation with his mother, uh, Brian just reported it was yesterday that they actually may have spoken on the phone as well. Uh, that may have been music to your ears, I'm assuming. Yes. Uh, as an investigator, yeah, that, uh, that says a lot to me because um, all of that can be traced and will be traced and is being traced. And so they can focus back to where that was uh, pinging from, what cell towers, what location he was in, and they can saturate that area, interview anybody that was, was there and, you know, begin the process of, like, have you seen this person? Um, and they're going to know more about – who was in that area by what is extracted from those from those towers and who else was in that area and be able to talk to and see who else was around. But having that information. All I keep thinking, John, this, but I keep thinking that if he was on the phone, let's say it isn't even his phone, it's someone else's phone, whosever phone it was, it should tell the police and therefore tell us where is the most dangerous place right now? Where is he? He called from one of these locations, not the ones on your map, but he called from a location that they have to know by now. Should they not be telling everyone in that area, he's here, he's in your backyard in this area, and yet we're not hearing anything like that? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's a different, uh, this is a different sort of uh, um, uh, approach than we saw in the, from the Pennsylvania State Police during the Cavalcante uh, manhunt. Uh, this there's not that much information coming out from uh, local law enforcement um, during this process. Uh, I would want to know that if I lived in that area um, as a citizen. Yeah. Uh, the, the phone call was being made and received from that location. <coughs> I mean that that's that's all I could think of was that they had to have been able to pinpoint roughly where he was at the time of that phone call and however fast he's able to to you know 
move out from there. But, um, John, I know you've been working your sources for us. And, you know, since this is breaking news, I, I want to ask you to just keep us apprised throughout the program, if you would, if you're able to get any new information. Thank you so much. Will do. Sorry about the cough. John Muffler, no worries. I've been there all week, trust me. Um, okay, so John Muffler's going to keep an eye on that story for us. In the meantime, I've got this other story that's just cooking, and it is bonkers. If you think the accusations against that parenting influencer, Ruby Frankie, and then her business partner, if you think those accusations of child abuse were disgusting, like dressing wounds with cayenne pepper and honey and withholding meals and forcing kids to sleep on the floor, wait until you hear what Jody Hildebrandt, the partner, that lady there on the right, wait till you hear what she's accused of doing to kids who sought help in therapy and grown-ups who sought help in therapy. Some of those ex-clients are going to join me next. When two YouTubers were arrested in Utah a few weeks ago and hit with this huge laundry list of, of charges, child abuse charges, it really seemed hard to believe, right? You couldn't script this thing. Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand, very popular on YouTube, dishing out parenting advice. Uh, and then they got charged after Ruby's kids were found duct taped and emaciated in Hildebrand's home. And they are just beginning that uphill fight against those charges. But Hildebrand is now facing a whole other series of accusations. Claims that she was abusing her patients as a counselor. Three men have come forward to say that they went to Jody for family counseling, but were railroaded into porn and sex addiction treatment, even though they did not suffer from those problems. Spencer Tibbetts was just 16 when he was sent to Jody by his family after being found playing video games on a secret cell phone. Wow. He says he was forced into an adult male porn addiction group and subjected to their very adult stories, including incest fantasies from one of the men. His father, Brian Tibbetts, went to counseling with his wife and says that Hildebrand simply put a wedge between the spouses, didn't fix anything, actually made things worse. He also says that Hildebrand treated their 12-year-old daughter for something Hildebrand said was control addiction and lying addiction. Those are not official addictions, by the way. And um, placed the child, a 12-year-old, in a 12-step program. All because the little girl wanted a secret cell phone. Another man named Adam Paul Steed says that he sought counseling from Hildebrand and says that his life was absolutely upended when she, as a counselor, broke privilege and shared his private thoughts with his church his wife, and his university. I spoke with all three of these men just a little earlier tonight. If I could begin with you, Brian, it's, your whole family um, was, was treated by, by Jody Hildebrand. Knowing what you've been through and knowing now what she's been arrested for, were you the least bit surprised with the charges that she's facing? I, I was surprised that that she abused a child with duct tape and rope. Um, I, but I'm not surprised by that she used that amount of control. Uh, she often said that children should not have privacy. Children need to be controlled. Children can't be trusted. Um, I didn't think it would have led to abuse, but I almost wouldn't put it past her too. 
Well, Spencer, you know, you've just heard what your dad said. Um, you saw Jody Hildebrand when you were just 16 for the you know terrible crime of having a secret phone. Would you say that she would be capable um, of the crimes that she's charged with now, given the person that you got to know back then as a teenager? Um, well, she, uh, she, I never felt a good connection with her. She was like really cold and rude and, um, never seemed like she really cared about me as a kid, especially compared to other better therapists I've had. So it's not very surprising, I guess. Um, I mean, I I didn't think she would actually abuse, but. Sorry. Well, an abuse can come in so many ways, right? I sure. mean, it can be physical, yeah. it can be mental, and certainly yes. hearing that, that she treated you with adults uh, who had porn addiction and spoke openly about those kinds of things, as well as fantasies uh, that should never be mentioned in front of a 16-year-old. What were some of those those sessions like for you as a 21-year-old now looking back at your 16-year-old self? Well, at the time, it was, um, especially because of how locked, thing, locked down things were at my house uh, after um, we started therapy with Jody. it was like the first outside connection I had. So on that hand, it was interesting, um, a little bit entertaining sometimes t- to listen to these guys. Um, but as an adult, looking back at that now, it's horribly disturbing. I can't imagine answering the phone and hearing a squeaky little kid's voice and being like, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a porn addiction or, you know. All of the conversations that I had, it was a 45-minute call every day for a few weeks with a different person each time. Well, and, and you know, honestly, Brian, looking back, I would think your, your blood would be boiling when you discovered some of the things that Jody had exposed your, your son to. Absolutely. And I didn't know that my children were... were in sessions with Jody, I was separated from my wife and children with the the line drawn in the sand that if I had any contact with my wife or children, uh, she my ex-wife would divorce me. And that was a rule by Jody. So I didn't know they were in therapy when I finally threw the towel in and had contact with my kids and invited them over in the temporary space where I was living, found out what was going on. I told them all then, you're not going back to Jody. I don't want you to go back, and you don't have to if you don't want to. And they resoundingly, all three said, please, we don't want to go back. And Adam, you had a a different experience, although um, probably you're finding some commonalities with what some of the other um, men and kids have reported about Jody Hildebrand. when I read about your case, it's it's just alarming that you lost your your family life, your wife, your church privileges, uh, you know, Brigham Young University, a suspension, all because of her reporting private things that you said to her in counseling. Um, if you look back through that prism, what are your thoughts about these new charges you're hearing that Jody's facing? Well, I learned earlier on how dangerous this woman actually is. Um, This situation with her abusing the kids doesn't surprise me at all. Well, I was going to say some of the alarming uh, commonalities between you three and 
others has been that no matter who came through the door, uh, no matter what kind of you know, problem uh, they brought to her attention, it seemed the treatment was always for sex addiction or porn addiction. And most people said they ha had nothing like that. Did, is well, that. Does that sort of square, Adam, with, with your experience? Watch how this works. I was a victim of child abuse. And one of my biggest fears as a little kid growing up in a Mormon Idaho, where they teach you at church that predators were abused as kids. That's why they're like that. So forgive them as they just hush this stuff up. Yeah, my fear was that people would think I wasn't normal because I had been a survivor of child abuse as a kid. And I remember talking to Jody about the the trauma I had from child abuse growing up and how people would alienate me and act like there was something wrong with me because I had been a victim and how I was scared of that. And she twisted it around to that being my sexual addiction. That anytime I brought up any trauma about the child abuse or anything, it was my sexual addiction acting out. And I mean, within like a short period of time, very short period of time, Jody flipped from asking me to take like way more sessions and my wife. And then I refused to pay for her sessions. It was like thousands of dollars a month. And literally within weeks, it became Jody accused teaching my ex-wife that I was a sexual child abuser and that I was a rapist and that I was uh, homosexual. And that, uh, I mean, I shouldn't even put those three things in the same sentence. It's just totally wrong. But in, in that mind frame of people, that was, that's what they were doing. I'm only going to jump in because you said something, Adam, that struck out to me, the punitive. And, and I wanted to ask about that, because honestly, when, when people have the kinds of experiences that the three of you have experienced, many times the civil courts are the, the way to redress them. So to that, Brian, is there something that you're planning that you'd like to see happen to Jody, whether it is through civil action on behalf of you and your family or um, on behalf of the criminal side where she's already embroiled in her own uh, struggle? You know, breaking up families is not against the law in this tight knit Mormon community uh, with a people with a fundamental mindset, especially uh, women who are eager to be heard because it's a very patriarchal um, kind of abusive, ab abusive power uh, mindset. Jody really spoke to women and gave them power and immediately separated them from the husband and then and then suckered them in and brought them into her care. And really, she wanted to help the women make all the decisions um, so none of that is illegal. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Did it run a jackhammer through my family? Absolutely. Not illegal. Abusing children, I would like to see her punished to the full extent of the law for that. Um, she is not a good person. She, she, uh, she gets, she likes taking control of people's lives and she likes shutting men down. And that's what I experienced. So, Brian Tibbetts, um, Spencer Tibbetts, and Adam Paul Steed, thank you, all three of you. Um, I, I wish the best for you in your recovery of what you've been through, and I'm very appreciative that you shared your stories with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. You. Thank you. Coming up after the break, the Gilgo Beach serial killer was in court today. It was like five minutes, but there was something that was so loud 
that was totally silent in that courtroom. And it gave people the willies. I'll explain what it was next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So Rex Hewerman got a haircut and a nice dark suit and had a five-minute hearing today in court. He is the Gilgo Beach suspected serial killer. There's the haircut. Uh, this is the appearance. And you might think five minutes isn't a lot, but a lot happened, like a lot. Um, first of all, it was revealed that his lawyers just got 5,000 pages of documents from the prosecutors. That is a lot of documents to read, but it turns out we are learning that Rex Herman does a lot of reading in, um, in prison, in jail. He says, he actually told the judge that he reads between two and four hours of his uh, discovery stuff every day. But that that's, he's only allowed uh, just a few more hours than that. He's not allowed a whole lot of time, I guess, in the law library, maybe it is. Uh, why he can't read it in his cell, don't know. But he's doing two to, four, two to three hours a day, he says, uh, reading up on his case. In that courtroom today, a couple of people he probably was hoping wouldn't be there. Um, a woman named Melissa Can was there. Her sister was Maureen Brainerd Barnes. And she is the fourth victim. He is the prime suspect in killing. He's charged in one, two, and three, but Maureen Brainerd Barnes is the fourth. They think that he might be the one. Uh, they, they're putting that case together, they say. And then also, uh, a woman was in court by the name of Amanda F., just Amanda F., uh, wants to keep her last name quiet. She is Mar uh, Melissa Bartholomew's sister. Do you remember Melissa Bartholomew? She was one of the victims whose family um, kept getting taunting phone calls from the killer, just sickening, from Melissa's phone. I mean, just awful. Well, Melissa's sister, Amanda F., was in court today. Something happened in court, too, that was just kind of weird. He looked around to the gallery behind him and smiled. Now, that's not weird when your family's back there, your wife, your kids, people who like you, whatever. But News Nation was there. We did not see any of his family. Nobody. So we don't know who he was smiling at. But that is creepy if you think about those two sisters who were back there. Maybe they saw it. I don't know. So then uh, the other thing is that we learned that his wife, Aza Ellerup, her lawyer was in the courtroom today. And he told the press that the family has no beds to sleep on. They're sleeping on floor mattresses, like, a, you know, blow-up beds on the floor. because Or mattresses on the floor because the beds were seized by the police. They also want their guns back. Like 280 guns were seized from that home, and a lot of them apparently are very valuable, antiques and all the rest. And so they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and this family is flat broke because Rex was the only uh, source of income for them. So they're in that house with no beds and apparently a bathtub with a big old hole in it, which was also seized 
uh, in the investigation. But they're very upset. They want the guns back. They have a, a motion hearing scheduled for October 2nd. That's not too long from now. Don't expect to see Hurman there, though. He is not scheduled to be back in court until November the 15th. Watch the space. Just after the break, uh, she famously sang, I got you, babe, back in the 70s. And maybe, maybe that's what's happened when Cher's adult son was allegedly kidnapped from a New York hotel room by four men who claim, apparently, that his mom ordered it. Was this tough love? Was this a crime? Was it any of the above? We're going to sort it all out next. When I was a little kid, I used to love it at the end of the Sonny and Cher show uh, when they would walk out on stage with their little girl, uh, Chastity Bono, at the end. It was just the cutest part of the show. I would wait up for the end all the time. And um, Chastity ended up transitioning to become Chaz Bono. And then I remember hearing a lot later on after the Sonny and Cher show was gone that, that Cher had another kid, Elijah Blue, with Greg Allman. That happened in 1976. Um, and I never really got to know that guy. I always felt like I knew Chastity and then Chaz, but I never really got to know Elijah Blue Allman. But apparently he had a very public bout with drug addiction. And then this really crazy story broke today. Uh, that Elijah Blue was in a hotel room celebrating an anniversary with his wife trying to reconcile. I guess they were on the rocks. And four men came banging down the door and kidnapped him. And the wife, her name is Mary Angela King, don't know her either, uh, she claims in a court document that one of those kidnappers said, Cher organized this. You're the mother, Elijah Blue's mom, organized the kidnapping. boy what? So I knew right away that I had to call our senior story producer, Paula Froelich, because she knows these things. She knows exactly how these <laughs> things end up and why they end up this way. This is such an allegation that, that Elijah Blue... By the way, hello. I've missed you. How Hi. are you? I miss you so much, but I love seeing you every night. This is the best show on so, TV. What, what, crazy, crazy story. What, what is going on with Cher's son, Elijah Blue, and the estranged wife this is a real serious allegation is it backed up anywhere it's really crazy so you have to understand they met in 2013 elijah blue had lyme disease he went to europe for a clinic met her there she's got a crazy background she's in a rock band they're together for about i i would say about seven years okay 2020 they okay. split up 2021 he files for divorce and ends up in rehab again. Now, you have to understand, this is not Cher's first rodeo with Elijah Blue at all. This is kind of, she knows what to do. And she also knows what happened. She has not really acknowledged the marriage ever. She is not a huge fan of Marie Angela. I think she also kind of feels that she is not good for her son and that does she does not keep him on the straight and narrow. So Elijah Blue goes to rehab. He gets out. He flies to New York in November of 2022. They spend 10 days holed up in a hotel room trying to reconcile. And Cher's spidey sense went off. And these guys come. And yes, I believe she actually absolutely sent them. She knew something was up because he ended up back in rehab for another four 
months. Now, this is serious rehab. This is lockdown. This is no phones. This is no contact, full on. And four days after he was taken from the hotel, Marie Angela files through divorce court saying, hey, I can't get a hold of my husband. Where's my spousal support? I can't pay my uh. my lawyers. And he's been kidnapped. Now, you and I are a little bit different. If somebody came to your house, Ashley, and took your husband with four men, what would I'd you do? I mean, I'd be on 911. I mean, yeah, exactly. Call me Marie crazy. Angel's a little different, yeah, right? Yeah, she, she files for divorce court. Right. That's what I wondered. I, wa- I only have like 20 seconds left, but I wondered if nope. she ever filed a police report or anything. So wait, is that just no. 20 seconds left? Any response from Cher on this? Yeah, Shara's ignoring this. She's like, absolutely not. Uh-huh. I mean, he is back in rehab again. He got out. He did not call his wife. He went to the Chateau Marmont for six months, ended up, they called it his lifeless body was outside. Thankfully, he was not lifeless. And again, he's back in rehab. But he did not call his wife oh. the entire time. And they're expected back in court October 27th. So who knows if he's going to show up or not. But well, you know, I, what? you know what? I hope I everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. for him, you know? Same. And I am That's team just... share. That's a huge mama bear thing to do. And what other choice do you have? If it's true. Ash, you have kids. What would you do? You know? I, know? I would do that. I would do, well, I would probably mm-hmm. go with my claws out myself. But uh, hey, Paula, that's all the time I have. But you yep. got to come back and talk to us about this when you find out more about it. Thank you. Every day, any day, my friend. Oh, I love seeing you. Okay, coming up after the break, we've got a shocking street crime that really hammers home the point that hardcore thugs don't seem to be afraid of getting caught anymore. This one was committed in a family-friendly neighborhood, broad daylight, in front of a witness, and all of it for a stupid little backpack. I'm going to play this full video for you with the sound next. You know, I'm just kind of curious when criminal thugs stopped even caring if they were seen committing their crimes. I have a new video I want to show you of a robbery in uh, like a nice neighborhood called Bucktown. It's in Chicago. Uh, that guy just even eating pizza, just gets cold cocked, sucker punched from behind. Look at that. Then the pal comes in and they both start beating on this poor guy, right? Just beating on the guy. It's, it is, they don't even care if anyone can see their faces. One guy's got his face covered up. The other one doesn't care at all. And this is all over a stupid backpack. I want to actually play this up full with the sound so you can hear it for yourself because I just, I just wanted you to see it. Have a look.
Just let it go, they said. Just let it go. The witness was the person you could hear honking, ended up staying with that guy until the police arrived. Look at him. He just has no idea it's coming. Bang, bang, bang. And I just have bad news to report. That is that they do not have any arrests. If there's any good news is that that victim was cut and bruised, but he went to the hospital and he's okay. He's otherwise okay. But they don't have the bad guys in custody yet. But that can change if you know somebody who knows somebody.